Welcome everyone to Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came, a podcast where we discuss the characters, connections, and deeper meanings of Stephen King's magnum opus, The Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McGurr. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. To support the show, visit us at patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. In this episode, we'll cover the novella, Everything's Eventual, found in the collection of the same name. Let's start the show! Dinky Earnshaw, a 19-year-old high school dropout working at a local grocery store, is bullied by a colleague named Skipper. Earnshaw has special powers that allow him to write letters made of unusual shapes and sigils, which, when read by specific individuals, causes their deaths. This power draws the attention of a Mr. Sharpton, a recruiter for Transcorps. Sharpton makes Dinky an offer to have a job with fringe benefits if he uses these powers. Dinky accepts, but gradually realizes that this job isn't all that it seems. All right. So, Jay, as you mentioned, this novella was collected in Everything's Eventual. But it was first published in the October-November 97 issue of the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, which, as a good Dark Tower scholar will tell you, is where the Gunslinger short stories were first published. Yeah. King certainly got a history with this publication. You'll have to wait around for fun stuff to hear the other place where this story was published before it came about in the short story collection. It's too fun to waste here. Oh, the suspense stuff. King states in the foreword for the short story in the collection that the idea came from a dream about a person pouring change into the storm drain. One day out of nowhere, I had a clear image of a young man pouring change into a sewer grating outside of a small suburban house in which he lived. Yeah, I mean, that is a, a pretty crazy image. And it seems like King set himself up to solve that problem of why would somebody do this? Right. And then wrote, wrote the story to basically explain it away. As we'll get to in some of our discussions later, it's really just a bad idea. It's dumb to throw money into the drain, and there are so many other better ways you could spend or just rid yourself of that money. Right. Dark Tower scholars will also be interested to note that this is the seventh story in the book, and it immediately follows the Little Sisters of Aloria. Ooh. That was a story that both you and I liked, so... I'm sure that was setting you up for liking this story as well, correct? Yeah. I mean, it's Stephen King. It's very closely related to The Dark Tower. It follows Little Sisters of Aluria in this collection. And we just read another short story by Stephen King that we both adored. Yeah, I had some really, really high expectations going into this one. I look forward to hearing more. We'll talk a little bit later about how this story is full of late 90s, early 2000s goodness. And that is also shown in the fact that this audiobook was read by Justin Long. You mean the Mac in the Mac and PC commercials? <laughs> there you go. Also famous for his role in Die Hard 4? You would recognize him as that kid you wanted to punch in the early 2000s, which made him a ideal reader for this story because Dickie Earnshaw is not necessarily the most likable character. And then one last thing on the story background. King says that this story came out smoothly and without a single hesitation. And he says it supports his idea that stories are artifacts, not really made things which we create, 
and can take credit for, but pre-existing objects which we dig up. And that's, I think, King being a little too humble because he's obviously a very creative person. And for him to sort of say there is no free will, that all these things are just out there in the ether and he puts them down on paper is not really accurate, in my opinion. I have two things to say to to that. One is, I agree with you that King's being humble, but his idea that these stories exist outside of himself and he is simply a conduit very much is an echo of how King, the character, says he writes the Dark Tower stories within the Dark Tower series. Mm. He's lived with a sort of umbilical to the Dark Tower itself, and he's been fed the characters that exist in the world, the objects, places, even the tower itself, the beams, all of that doesn't come from him. It comes through him. And as he spins it into existence, the world itself comes into existence. And it's sort of that snake eating its tail thing. But I think King, in some ways, maybe really feels like this is how his creative process works. The other thing that I have to say is, just to say that the quote again, that King said the story came out smoothly and without a single hesitation. I can say the same thing about some shits I've taken. <laughs> I didn't really like this story at all. I found the few characters that were in it not likable. As you kind of alluded to a moment ago, Dinky Earnshaw is not a likable person. It's not all his fault, but the person he is, and maybe, maybe less so the person he is becoming over the course of the story, but the person he is when the story begins, he's not a very likable person. Mm. I feel a little bit pity for him for how much he's bullied and how kind of solitary an existence and a struggling existence he lives but maybe as a result of that existence he himself is not all that relatable or likable but overall i struggled with the story in general it was not as good as little sisters of Aloria. dinky wasn't really all that impressive of a character or although i didn't find him all that interesting I kind of felt like I saw where the story was going from page four and the rest of it was just like, all right, I guess I'll just get it over with. I'm glad I read it. I'm glad that we're going to be able to dissect it together and, and talk it through. But it definitely wasn't my favorite. Yeah, I mean, compared to what we've read recently and even to Little Sisters, it's not as good of a story as those, but I did not have anywhere near as many problems with it as you did. I found it an interesting enough yarn even if a little derivative and similar to other works we've seen by other authors and even other works we've seen by King and his, one of his most recent novels, the Institute seems to be an expansion of this short story with a lot of the same ideas come into play. So if these are pre-existing artifacts that King's uncovering, he keeps uncovering the same ones over and over again. Yeah. Maybe that's why it feels like it came out smoothly and without a single hesitation. Yeah. And I will say I, think I'm a little bit more forgiving of Dinky Earnshaw as a character than you, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But all this talk about the creative process, this is another instance where, although the story seems to be a simple story about how a young man gets caught into a bigger conspiracy than he wants to be involved in, and there's some supernatural powers in it, it is also about the creative process. Yeah, very much so. The way that Dinky talks about his ability to write these Sankovites and Japs and Fowders and Mercs, 
he talks about this creative inspiration he has to do it. In fact, Mr. Sharpton, when he hires him, doesn't give him any instructions on what he wants to do. He just says, hey, you'll know what to do when you need to do it. And that's what happens is that at some point, Dinky's just sitting in the house and he just gets this feeling like, oh, I've got to put stuff down on paper. And they've made it a lot easier for him because the first couple of times he does it, he actually has to write things on paper or chalk outside of the uh, lady with the dog that won't stop barking. And here they've got a computer with it all set up. He just has to type it all in. And he gets into this flow where he doesn't even remember how much time he's spending at that computer. And it very much sounds like King when he's doing his writing. Yeah, or any creative person truly embracing whatever form of creative art that they do, whether it's music, painting, drawing, fouders, mercs, and japs, whatever it is, when you get into that zone, there's nothing quite like it. And it could even be addictive. And I think King, who knows a lot about the creative process and he exercises it mainly through writing books. He also knows a lot about addiction. He expresses Dinky's connection to this creative process and his use of his power as a person just being an artist, expressing his art. And I think that's a really great way to to show it. Dinky almost can't help himself and and he gets kind of addicted to it, even as he starts to realize that he's killing people and he's effectively a a mass murderer or a serial killer and he feels bad about that he still loves the feeling that he gets when he gets to create his art it's impossible for him to resist it yeah he says he feels how great musicians like mozart and eric clapton feel when they're writing their music or how painters feel when they're getting their best work on canvas Mm. it was eventual man it was so fucking eventual i can't even tell you Yep. And King says in his foreword, it's the same way I bet that good painters know how he's painted a good picture or a good writer knows when he's written a good story. When it's right, I think you just know. It sits there in your head and hums. So we've got King directly reflecting what he's got Dinky expressing. And so I kind of think we're on to something here in terms of how this is an exploration of the creative process in general. King likes to talk about that as as much as he likes to talk about telling stories. But in this case, Dinky is creative in one single way only. It's in writing these letters that have a certain power over people who read them, specific people. But he doesn't have that creative ability anywhere else in his life. And part of that is because he's young and naive and maybe is not a very worldly person, but he doesn't have that sophistication. And as you alluded to earlier, One of those ways is is in that he doesn't know how to get rid of the money. Yeah. There's a requirement of his job that he gets a a stipend at the beginning of the week. And by the end of the week, he has to not have any of that money. And whether he spends it or whatever, he's got to not have it. And that's part of the way they're keeping him, right? Like they don't want him to be able to collect money, but he doesn't know how to get rid of it. So he's putting the change down the sewer, which was the the image that King had to start off the story, but he's then taking bills that he has left over and shredding them in the garbage disposal. He could buy stuff. Yeah. He could give the money away. He could donate it to charity. He could maybe heal some of that guilt he feels about killing people by giving it to the Salvation Army or the local food bank. But instead he's just like, eh, I'm going to just dump it down the sewer. Yeah. He's aware enough of the fact that doing that is really strange. And if somebody were to witness him, in the same way that King witnessed the person in his dream, 
that he's like, it's a real head scratcher. I mean, that would attract attention. And you just listed so many good ideas of how he could get rid of that money that just never occurred to Dinky. Why in the world would you dump money down a sewer drain? And why would you shred the bills? Like, even if he's not going to be generous, even if he's not going to try to help others with the money, just buy more stuff for yourself. Yeah. I can't figure out how he can't think of how to spend $70. Right. I mean, just, just buy more stuff. Like, it doesn't matter. You, you have to use the money. Like, and I know it's $1990, but still. Yeah. Well, that's the other piece that it's all his lack of creativity because when he is taken in by Mr. Sharpton and told like, Hey, I'm going to give you a job offer with fringe benefits and you'll use your power. And Dinky's like, well, you're going to have to make me an offer. I can't refuse. Mm -hmm. And then he says, and he did. And the offer that he couldn't refuse the offer that just blew him away. That made him say, I'm, I'm going for this is $65 a week. A house in a small city in the middle of nowhere, Ohio. And that's it, right? Like, that's nothing. He didn't say like, hey, I could have a penthouse in New York City and give me $1,000 a week and hot girls coming up every day and a personal chef. Like, he doesn't even have the imagination to think that. He has so such a small threshold of what he's looking for. $65 and no rent. and I'll be happy because I can go pick up my porno mags and watch a movie every once in a while and get my McDonald's and I'll be a happy dude. Yeah. All it took to convince him was something that was incrementally better than his current situation. Yeah. And unfortunately for Dinky, his current situation before he met Mr. Sharpton was pretty bad. You know, he was busting his butt, working multiple jobs, delivering pizzas and working at the, the uh, grocery store. And things like that. He lived in a house with his mom, and she didn't really seem to pay much attention to him one way or the other. So he was just a lonely kid, didn't have a lot of friends, he didn't have a lot of money. So he was easy pickings for someone like Sharpton. Yep. What's it going to take? Anything that's better than this. Right. And that gets to the seduction of Dinky, right? So, yeah. How easily he is won over by Mr. Sharpton. And you've just laid out a lot of the reasons why, because he doesn't have a great home life. He doesn't have a great job. And so it's just this very little piece. And we talked about how he doesn't have any creativity to do it. But like, there are all these pieces that are building up in Dinky that are wanting him to look for a better life. And he just can't see it. So when he's given anything, he goes for it. And a big one on that is that Mr. Sharpton knows what levers to pull to get Dinky to do what he wants. So it's not just the money. Mm. It's not just the house. But Dinky is extremely afraid of being found out by the fact that he killed Skipper, one of his co-workers who was bullying him. He seems to be in constant fear. Like he was in constant fear of Skipper when he was alive. And then when he gave him one of his letters and caused him to crash his car and kill himself, he's worried he's going to be found out about that. Mr. Sharpton doesn't use that as blackmail over him, which would have been one way to get him to do what he wants. Because he wants somebody who is pliable and willing to do the work so he just says hey i understand what you're doing and there's a whole world of skipper brannigans out there the big ones the ones who do it on a grand scale our job is to get rid of them and you'll be able to use your powers to do that and that's what really gets Dinky going hey for 65 dollars a week i'll be able to get rid of bullies that sounds like the job for me yeah 
there are a lot of reasons for Dinky to want anything to improve a situation for sure. And I think that the purest motivations are those things that let him flex the, his creative muscles like we talked about. I'm all for giving him an outlet for that. And if you could really point his deadly powers towards good use, then it seems like a win all around. He gets to do what he does and enjoy that feeling that he gets when he does it and know that in doing so, he's helping the world. He's making the world a better place. Wonderful. Sounds great. And on top of that, he gets, what was it, $65 a week? Yep. Yay, right? All Sharpton really needed to do was focus on that, and I think he could have convinced Dinky to, to take the job for no money. Right. <laughs> and I would have understood that more than the money down the, the storm drain, honestly. That's more of a pure motivator. I think most people have some form of creativity inside themselves, even if they don't spend much time expressing it. And if you give them an outlet and you tell them, you're free to do this, there will be no judgment. It'll just make you happy. People will do it and they'll do it more and more and they'll find themselves expressing themselves creatively as often as they can, even if it's only for themselves. So give Dinky this outlet. Unfortunately, his art kills people. <laughs> right. So there has to be something there. And of course, it, it's very malevolent. So this organization wants to use him as a gun. And aim him at their own targets. Right. And, and, he, and even when he figures that out, to your point, Dinky's okay with it when it's not personalized. Yeah. Because again, he gets such a fulfillment of doing that, that outlet of his writing. So when Sharpton tells him, we want to help you focus your talent, sharpen it, and use it for the betterment of all mankind, he's down with that. He's like, yeah, I've got this power that I was always afraid to use, but you're telling me go carte blanche with it and i'm totally okay with it and that's why you can see is he starts to not spend the money because he doesn't need the money anymore and he asks for the rembrandt poster because he's like eh, sure but he doesn't want a real rembrandt he's okay with the poster that's enough for him and so he's able to sell himself out in that way because he does get that fulfillment yeah we've been a little bit harsh on dinky but i do think we have to remember that He's a 19-year-old kid who is in a situation that is above his head, and he's come from a background that didn't prepare him for this. Even though that this story is written from the perspective of Dinky Earnshaw, it's a first-person narrator, I think King has put enough hints in there that we're supposed to feel at least some sense of sympathy for him, that this isn't a totally with-it kid. He's sort of dorky to begin with. I can say this as somebody who's a big fan of Weezer and Counting Crows, but those are two cool bands <laughs> that he should be proud of, proud of like, hey, I, I get this. And he'd be more proud if he were a fan of, they might be Giants or Weird Al. I mean. Yeah, exactly. Like us, right? Yeah. And even when he says things like the quote I said earlier about how he must feel like how great musicians like Mozart and Eric Clapton, I mean... He has such a low level of sophistication that those are like the two names that come to his head. It's not like a bunch of classical music, but it's like, hey, Mozart and Eric Clapton, they're the two best musicians in the world, right? And I think there'd be a lot of argument with that. But so it's that 
it's the pornography. It's just his simple way of looking at it. I think King wants us to feel a little bit of sympathy, at least for Dinky, that he's not somebody who is as sophisticated or somebody who knows what to do in this situation to be right. And the fact that even the way the story ends with him getting a message from somebody on the outside, he seems to want to take it right at face value. Like he doesn't question it, just like he didn't question what Mr. Sharpton's motives were from the beginning. He does seem to be a tool and we're going to see that he becomes a bigger tool for a much larger corporation in the Dark Tower, which now is probably a good time to talk about our Dark Tower thinnies, Jay, because Dinky Earnshaw is a important character in the Dark Tower, yes? He's a character. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into our Dark Tower thinnies. All right, let's do that. I'll start off by just saying, like, yes, Dinky is in the Dark Tower. He's one of the breakers, and that's our most direct Dark Tower thinny for sure. He's even one of the names that Roland calls out when he reaches the tower. He calls out all of the people who have been on the journey with him or who have symbolically reached the tower with him. So Dinky's one of these people. That said, I don't really remember what Dinky did in the Dark <laughs> Tower, except that he was with Ted Brodigan and Shimi, and the three of them somehow helped. Yeah. But I don't remember specifically what Dinky did. I don't have every remembrance of it either. So it was clearly significant, because <laughs> it really <laughs> just went whoosh right out of our brains. After Oi and... Uh... Eddie Dean, I think he was the third most important person in Roland's Quartet. Definitely. But there are other Dark Tower thinnies that maybe aren't as direct as the fact that Dinky's in, in the series and in this story. Um, one that I thought was the title, Everything's Eventual. Dinky has picked this up from a friend or acquaintance who says things like eventual is a stand-in for cool or awesome, right? Mm-hmm. But when you say everything's eventual, that starts to get into fate, which starts to get into Ka. Yeah. If everything's eventual, everything's Ka. And I think it was Sharpton who put those two words together for the first time for Dinky. Like he's like, oh, that's eventual. And Sharpton liked that. He's like, ah, yes, everything's eventual, isn't it, Dinky? Another Dark Tower thingy that I found was that one of the times that Dinky writes a specific request for something is for homemade apple pie and the next day there's a homemade apple pie in his refrigerator and it's not even wrapped or covered or in a box but it's on a blue plate mm. and i couldn't help but wonder if perhaps it was a for special blue plate yeah yes so because this is a longer work it's not just a short story it's a novella king had a tendency to add section breaks in it mm. and as i was reading along i would read them part one, part two, part three, part four. And I realized I was getting closer and closer to the end of the story. And I was getting closer and closer to 19. And I'm like, oh, he's going to end this in section 19, isn't he? And he missed the opportunity, Jay. Ah. He flubbed it. He added a 20th chapter. Oh, it was so close. I think that's a great thing to call out because there were, there were so many opportunities that King could have so much more tightly intertwined this with the rest of the Dark Tower story. 
it makes me wonder what his thoughts were about deliberately doing that kind of thing at the time that he wrote this because clearly like a lot of the dark tower books were written at that point the first four were for sure first four at least he was already finding connections to between different books and things and then later he sort of retconned dinky into the dark tower by deciding that anybody with a power like his could be used as a breaker yep wonderful but Mr. Sharpton is almost certainly a Kentoy, but we're never quite like shown that on the page. He could just be a really slick guy, right? He's got the ostentatious car. He's got a loud tie. It's just enough that when Dinky approaches the car, he's a little bit worried about it. But not enough that, yeah, that it's like something that is dim or fades into the distance when other people are looking at it, which would have made it very much a low man thing. And there, there are just some other things like the name of Sharpton's company, Transcorp. Why did King call it Transcorp? Why didn't he call it Sombra Corp or, or just call it North Central Positronics or even Lemurk or whatever? Just any one of those Dark Tower company names that are all basically pseudonyms for the same thing. He could have just done that, yeah, but he didn't. If King had just decided to do this, he could have made it nice and tidy. Right. And I'm not saying that that's a flaw in the story, but it's sort of a missed opportunity, like your 20th chapter yeah. or 20th section break. You know? Like, ah, could have, could have just fine-tuned it just a bit, and it would have been just super tight with the Dark Tower. Yep, yep, yep. So another obvious connection is that Dinky's powers are somewhat similar to Patrick Danville's in the Dark Tower. So Patrick Danville is the artist who's able to draw things into being and Dinky's able to do the opposite. He draws stuff into destruction by his letters that he creates. Yeah. Sort of two sides of a coin there, I suppose. Right. Both people have drawing-related superpowers that give them advantages or at least a heightened existence in the world of the dark tower. Yeah. So I kind of touched on this before that Sharpton is probably a low man. And you mentioned he has the ostentatious car. He talks about himself as an evil headhunter, talent scout, walking, talking destiny. That all sounds super dark towery. Yep. And part of his getup is this really bold tie that Dinky spends a lot of time noticing. And it has King Arthur sigils on it. It's got an Excalibur sword and anything to do with King Arthur that otherwise touches on the Dark Tower. I think that just amplifies the connection because all the Dark Tower, especially the line of Eld, goes all the way back to Arthur. The fact that this particular low man is wearing a King Arthur tie and he knows who Arthur Eld is, I'm sure. Maybe he aspires to be like that, or or fancies himself part of the line of Eld, or something. Or maybe he fancies himself a king. Either way, I thought it was uh, worth calling out as a thin, but still a thinny. Definitely glad that we discussed this, because it is really close to the Dark Tower book's an expansion of the mythos to some extent, if not a very successful one. 
We would love to hear from you, and we would especially love to hear from our patrons to give us their feedback on this story. A reminder that our patrons support our show and get access to exclusive Patreon content, such as bonus podcast episodes. You can become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. So Sean, should we get into some fun stuff? Yeah, I think we've got some pretty good fun stuff in this one. Yeah. I will put this in the show notes and tweet this out as well. But the other place that this story was published before it was published in the short story collection was in a game called Stephen King's F-13. And this was a game that I believe you could get on CD-ROM. What this game consisted of was screensavers and some very rudimentary flash games that looked like, like Bash the Bugs and some other things. And it had a copy of this short story on it. And this is such a 90s thing. Like the commercial for this is hilarious that I'm going to send out. But like it's almost mentioned in the story as well because Dinky mentions that he really likes the screensaver programs, usually the one of the people doing stuff behind their blinds in a high rise building. That's my favorite. And you can see in the commercial for this Stephen King's F13 game that there is a screensaver and you could see somebody, two shadows, sort of one of them killing the other one in the other shadow. It's just so so terrible and (laughs) it just reminded me of what an artifact this was of the 90s these these games that that you'd get on cd and they weren't very good or very fun compared to what we have now but it's what we had (laughs) and the joke is stephen king's f13 because it's function 13 which is the one key you don't have on your keyboard it goes f1 through f12 but not f13 which must be some sort of weird secret one and again stephen king always Getting on that technological thing from his ebooks, the plant, riding the bullet, always trying new stuff out. But this one sounds like it was not successful at all. <laughs> nope. Fun stuff that I wanted to talk about was that Dinky watched Golden Years. Dinky is a character in a Stephen King novella who, when he was younger, watched a Stephen King TV series. Yep. Love it. Wasn't even a very good TV series. <laughs> Although. To be fair, I guess it didn't really get a chance because it was canceled after the cliffhanger ending of the first season and King never had an opportunity to conclude the story. He asked, I wouldn't go as far as to say begged, but <laughs> he asked the network to just give him like four hours to just conclude the story. Like, you don't need to give me a whole second season. Just give me four hours of airtime. And they wouldn't do it. Ooh. I'm pretty sure that if King asked that same favor today he'd be given an entire four season run on hulu right (laughs) i never watched golden years i i remember it coming on and i might have tried watching the first episode but i don't think i watched anything beyond that i i only have a remembrance of its existence not of actually watching it yeah it's basically just a tv series of benjamin button pass i think that's what abc said too (laughs) yeah we already mentioned this but there are many similarities to King's newest book, The Institute, which is about taking young kids with powers and using them to do awful deeds like killing people in faraway lands. The kids in that book even go through a similar experience that Dinky goes through where he is tested and he sees flashing lights in front of him that he's worried are causing bad things to happen to his brain. And that's sort of a, an ongoing thing in The Institute. So if you like this story at all, and you would like to read a 600-page version of it, (laughs) 
you could pick up the Institute. There's a little bit more to it than this story, but uh, it's not a bad read. It's a fast read, but not one of King's greatest works. And there's also obviously similarities to Firestarter, where there's a another secret group that is taking kids and try and using their yeah the shop. That one's a government organization, and we're not told the Transcorps is a government one. It, this seems to be more of a a secretive dark group of some sort. Who knows? But yeah, again, a lot of similar ideas that King's playing with. And then even further, a book he wrote with R- Richard Chismer called Gwendy's Button Box is a sort of happier version of this story where a girl is given possession of a box where if she presses a button, things happen, but good things happen to her in the end. And the person who gives her the box has the initials RF in Gwendy's button box, which, as we know, is pretty significant. Ooh. That's a pretty cool connection. Yeah. Another cool thing that I saw in, in this story was yet another example of King's obsession with the assassination of JFK. Mm. We learn here that because of all of the various super-powered people who work for the Transcorp, they know that the Kennedy assassination was not done by Oswald. In fact, it was a woman. Yes. The story doesn't give us any more detail than that. But I love how this is something that has just been like like a strobe light in Stephen King's brain, like JFK, 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 like all the time, JFK, JFK. And it just keeps showing up everywhere. And I think that it was like he finally wrote 11-22-63 and got it out of his system. Yep. And I'm so glad he... He wrote it when he did the way he did, because I love that book. And I think he, he handles the whole story and the idea of trying to prevent the assassination in a superb way. So I think it's out of his system now, and he doesn't have to keep mentioning it everywhere else. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. like, but here it is in Everything's Eventual. Dinky has this ability to say things that are funny that just seem to crack me up for whatever reason and one is that he says and again this is a very 90s thing that he's very good at key jacking like he he was good at computers and he says any fool can peel the apple but it takes a real man to eat the core and that's talking about his hacking abilities which <laughs> is cheesy but cracked me up but the one that really made me sort of laugh out loud as I was reading which doesn't happen to me often is when Mr. Sharpton says to Dinky, creativity is like a hand at the end of your arm, but a hand has many fingers, doesn't it? And Dinky responds, well, at least five. And I don't know why that hit me the way it did, but it just cracked me up. When I read that, it it just, it kind of gave me one of those like crossed eye moments. Like I didn't laugh out loud from it, but like, what do you mean at least five? <laughs> So, Sean, one of the things that did stand out to me was that secret message that Dinky finds right at the end of the story that someone has slipped a note into his mail that says, you know, if you want out, let me know. And let me know by saying, don't stand so close to me is best police song. (laughs) I'm like, is it the best police song, though? I mean, what about Roxanne? Roxanne's got to be better than that, right? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the uh, the three songs at Synchronicity, King of Pain and Wrapped Around Your Finger. And I forget what the third one is in that little 
love one. But yeah, all of Synchronicity is really better than Don't Stand So Close to Me. Maybe that's part of the test. Like you have to say, I want your help, but I disagree about which song is the best police song. Yeah. Yeah, Roxanne's good. I'm a big fan of So Lonely off the first album. Yeah, I think Don't Stand So Close to Me is not even in my top 10. Listeners, what's your favorite police song? Yeah, again, this is just showing that Dinky's sort of a dork. <laughs> well, on that note, I think that's going to be all for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Links to all of our social media is available in the show notes. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. Jay, next episode is a big one. We're beginning our coverage of The Stand. Ooh. Yeah, and it's going to be a while that we're going to be on The Stand as, as well, readers. So, uh, yeah, I understand it's a long book. It is, and we're going to be reading the extended version. So if you're going to read along with us, be sure to pick up that one. Otherwise, you're going to miss some stuff and maybe have some differences. But we'll be reading The Stand, and next episode we'll be covering Book 1, Chapters 1 through 4, as well as anything that comes before that. So all the uh, King essays and prologues and all those pieces leading up to that. So it's about 50 pages worth of reading. So The Stand, Prologue, Front Material, Book 1, Chapters 1 through 4. Yeah. We're really looking forward to it. Yes. It's very timely subject matter as well. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. All right. So for Jay Russo, I'm Sean McGurr. Thanks for listening. we get started i i feel totally unprepared for this conversation but we'll make it happen we always do i'll fix it in post fuck it we'll do it live <laughs> we'll do it live damn it <laughs>